We're in the book of uh, Thessalonians. We've been walking through the book. Thessalonians is a unique book. It was written on Paul's second missionary journey. <clears throat> Paul had been to uh, Philippi, where we have Lydia the seller of purple got saved. Paul got thrown in jail. The Philippian jailer gets saved. Paul leaves. He goes to a place called Thessalonica. <laughs> um, there, he's there, as best we know, maybe about three weeks. He ends up in prison there. They end up bailing him out. Paul makes his way to Berea and then to a place called Athens. While Paul's in Athens, he writes a letter back to the church at Thessalonica. It's unique because most of Paul's letters are written after he's made the journey. This letter is written while he is in the middle of his second missionary journey. So Paul writes back to him and he tells him some things. And Paul is trying to encourage him. Um, We talked about last week about the importance of Paul was in, in Athens going through a hard time. But he, let, he took Timothy and said, Timothy, I don't stay with me. You go back to Thessalonica and let, and let me hear what God's doing up there. And, and Paul hears their story. And Paul said that, you know, it's your story that encouraged my story. And we talked about last week the importance of sharing our story. We talked about the idea of, look, as painful as it is, God has taken you through some things. And you need to be able to allow, get to a point in your life where you allow God to use that to help other people who are going through some things. And, um, you know, that's one of the ways that God uses our stories. And we talked about that last week. Um, This morning, Paul is going to start to address some of the problems. There are a couple of issues that were coming up. There are a couple of issues that um, we're going to see come up again and again and again as we go through the rest of the book. But um, before we get into it, I I need to give you a little bit of background because I think um, this will help you understand what Paul's about ready to say. One of, the, one of the problems we have in America is a lot of people look at Christianity and they look at, they look at passages like wives submit to your husbands and all that kind of stuff. And they say, you know, Christianity is real, uh, is demeaning to women or Christianity is, uh, puts women in like a second place role or those kinds of things. The thing is, people who say that don't understand the history. It's just the opposite. You see... When the time that the Bible was written, women were not looked at as people. Women were looked at as property. Um, And because of that, uh, literally, they were treated no differently than you would treat a a car or a shovel or anything else. That's how women were viewed in the culture. Um, Let me read you a couple of quotes from the time. Um, Seneca, who was an important guy, said this. Women were married to be divorced and divorced to be married. So the only purpose they have is to marry them and then divorce them. And then you marry a different one. Uh, Demosthenes, who's one of the greatest orators, uh, someone argues one of the greatest orators of history, said this. We have courtesans for the sake of pleasure. We have concubines for the sake of daily cohabitation. We have wives for the purpose of having children legitimately and of having a faithful guardian for our household affairs. That was the culture. The culture was, there, there is property. Jesus comes along and changes it completely. Because Jesus takes marriage from that concept, which had developed within the culture, to, a, to a, a concept in which husbands and wives are partners. He gets back to the original intent in Genesis. And so it's important for us to understand, because as we get into this passage this morning, it's going to help us understand some of the things that he's saying. Okay? So that's the culture of the day. That's what they're fighting, all right? Um, And that was very true in Thessalonica, a a town of about 200,000 people. 
uh, main capital town, a lot of Roman influence, a lot of Greek influence. Uh, so here we, here's what we go. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Here's what he said. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort you in the Lord Jesus Christ that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Paul says, look, my goal for you, he's saying this to the Thessalonican people, my goal for you is to abound. My goal for you is to have a great life. My goal for you is to take what we, you learn from us and just continually build it so that you can be the people God's designed for you to be. That's how he starts it out. Now he's going to get into specifics. Notice what he says, uh, verse 3. <clears throat> uh, next one, guys. Oh, what happened? You lost me. There you go. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who don't know God, that no one should take advantage of or defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such. And we also have forewarned you and testified, for God did not call us to uncleanliness, but to holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has given us his Holy Spirit. Paul now addresses what was a big issue in this culture. It was also an issue of Corinth. It was an issue throughout the whole New Testament. But basically, this view of women as property, women as objects. Um, and Paul here addresses this whole culture, which is no different than our culture. Um, and notice what he says. He says abstain from sexual immorality. You know what he's saying? Keep your distance. In other words, push it away. Keep it, keep it away from you because this is something that will hurt you. And that's what Paul's, Paul's addressing here. It's the idea of, look, if you're not careful, these kinds of things can hurt you. Kids, hear me. Teenagers, college kids, young married. Listen, this will hurt you. And Paul says, here's, here's my advice. Keep it way off in the distance. Don't let it get close. Because it will hurt you. And he goes through, and he actually tells you why. He says, look, know how to possess your own vessel in sanctification honor. There's some debate about, you know, vessel, whether vessel is like your uh, the other person or vessel is yourself. But here's what he's saying. That you know how to possess your own vessel in sanctification. In other words, there's some self-control with your life. There's some delayed gratification. There's some things that you go, you know what? No, that's just not. I'm just going to keep that at a distance in my life. And he talks about it. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who don't know God. And then he gives you the reason. Notice what he says. It's not like, again, too many times in the Bible we talk about what we're supposed to do and what we're not supposed to do, and we don't focus on the why. We focus on the principle. Paul tells you why right here. And notice what he says. He says, number one, that no one should take advantage and defraud his brother in the matter. You don't understand. When you get involved in this area, you are hurting someone else. It's not just about you. Somebody else is being impacted by what you're doing. And Paul said, look, you, you don't want to do that. And then he goes on and he said, because the Lord is avenger of something. We also forewarned you and testified. God didn't call you to that kind of lifestyle. Now, we get all hung up on this word holiness. Okay? 
And when I say holiness, depending on your church background, everybody's got a different idea. Let me give you a different concept, which is kind of more in line with what Paul's talking about here. Think of the term wholeness. It's the idea of being complete. It's the idea of being mature. It's the idea of being what God has called you to be. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, look, God didn't save you to live the way everybody else lives. You get that? God didn't save you to live like everybody else. As Christians, we are not better, but we do it differently. Why? Because we have a higher calling. We have a higher purpose. We have something else driving us that the world doesn't have. That's what he said. He said, look, the Gentiles, they don't know any better. They don't know God. They don't have any reason to do it any different. But we do. And he says, because why? Because God's in your corner and because you have the Holy Spirit. You and I have the ability, we have the power with the Holy Spirit to keep those things at a distance in our life. And that's what he's talking about. And he ends it by saying, look, therefore, he who rejects this does not reject me. In other words, you're not just... But you're pushing God away. You're pushing God's plan away. You're pushing what God wants for your life away. You're putting some distance between you and God. And Paul said, look, you don't want to do that. You don't want to do that because, again, in their culture, everybody did that. In their culture, no one thought about not doing that. Much like the culture that we're in. Kids, listen to me. There's nothing wrong with setting your standards high. And keeping your standards high. I tell kids over and over and over again. Again, I define kid as anybody under 40. Um, I tell them over and over and over again. Okay? Don't settle. Don't settle. You always look for God's best for you. Don't settle. And Paul here says, look, God wants you to have it. God wants you to be holy. He wants you to have a whole life. And you're going to see this as we keep going. Then he goes on. Since he's talking about love in a negative way, now he talks about love in a positive way. Listen to what he says next. He goes on in verse 9. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Paul said, you guys are doing a great job of loving another. For, and indeed, you do so towards all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. Paul said, you know what? He said, when I look at how you guys are loving other people, it, it's exciting to me. You guys are doing a great, great job. Paul said, the only thing I would say to you is, keep doing it, only do it more. Think about it for a minute. We get hung up on this a lot. The, the thing that was so attractive about Christianity, they were not, early Christians were not known for their doctrine. Early Christians were known by their love. That was the thing that made a difference. Because Jesus Christ taught, that you love everyone. And that was revolutionary in a, wor a world in which there were orders and there was hierarchy of who was more important than who. And again, we're going to see that in a minute. Then he goes on. And here's what he says in verse uh, 11. That you aspire... Now talk about this to these people. He's going to say, I'm going to help you out here. I'm going to tell you what you need to do. And he says, that you aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, to work with your own hands as we commanded you that you may walk properly towards those who are outside, that you may lack nothing. Paul now looks at these people and he says, all right. He said, look, here's what I want you to do. He said, first of all, notice what he says. I want you to lead a quiet life. Now, when you read that, what do you think? 
Huh? Don't argue. Be quiet. Be a mouse. Uh, keep your mouth shut. Da, da, da. That's, not, that's not the idea here. The idea here is the idea of a life that is at peace. Paul said, look, one of the things that I want for you is I want you to live at peace right now. I want you to have a quiet, peaceable, enjoyable life. Now, you've got to understand, when Paul's writing this, this is a world that's in incredible turmoil. Nero is either in power or about to become in power, and he and Christians didn't get along. This is a time where Rome is about ready to start charging all the way through and conquer Christians and wipe them out or try to wipe them out. So when Paul looks at them and goes, hey, I want you to be able to live a quiet or a peaceable or a whole kind of life, he's going, what? Do you know what's going on, Paul? But Paul explains to us, look, this is what God wants for you. God wants you and I to be able to live that way. Then in the middle of complete turmoil and chaos, God gives us a peace and a calm and an assurance. For the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace. And Paul said, look, that's what I want for you. And notice, he starts to give you a little bit of reason, a little bit of ideas. How? What does he say next? <laughs> Mind your own business. I say it this way. If it's not your circus, and it's not your monkeys, then don't deal with it. My phrase for the last year has been, not my circus, not my monkeys. And I am amazed at how many times that has gotten me out of situations I didn't belong in in the first place. One of the reasons some of you are in turmoil as much as you're in turmoil about, because you're involved in stuff you don't need to be involved in. You got your nose in places it, should, it doesn't belong. And Paul said, look, and if you're one of those people who everything in your life is drama, Paul said, mind your own business. That will take care of, I bet you, 90% of your drama. But we're in a world where it's like, oh, no, did you hear that? They said this about them. And I, well, I don't like that. And the next thing we know, we're in turmoil. Our lives are up upheaval. We got everybody mad at us, and we're going, I just don't get it. Mind your own business. Paul said, look, you really want a, a life that's, that's ordered and structured and, 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 and the whole life that God has intended for you to have? He said, learn to live peacefully. One way you do that is you, you mind your own business. And then he goes on and he says this, and work with your own hands. Now, that seems odd to us from a rural culture because we, we value hard work and we like people who work with their hands. You need to understand in this culture, blue-collar workers were looked down upon. Um, if you worked with your hands, you were looked down upon because you were not a person of, of, of ability or nobility or, or whatever else. And so to go, that's why, by the way, it's very interesting. When Paul went into a lot of cities, he would help make tents to be able to subsidize his ministry. And you need to understand that some cultures, that was looked down upon. In this culture, to work with your hands, to do manual labor? No. And one of the things that Paul is trying to get across to these people is, look, there's nothing wrong with hard work. One of my concerns for generations behind us is we've lost the work ethic that we used to have. And I talk to too many business owners, and I talk to too many people who have trouble hiring people 
And I, I tell parents this all the time. If you can instill a work ethic in your kid, I can guarantee you your kid will have a job for the rest of their life because we're in a culture that doesn't have that anymore like we used to. And Paul said, look, learn to work with your, own, with your hand. And then, um, as we commanded you, that you may work, work, walk properly towards those who are outside, that you may lack nothing. Paul said, here's what happens. When you start, when you start to live quietly, when you, stick your, when you stick, stop sticking your nose in everybody else's business, when you just do what you're supposed to do, take care of yourself, work hard, and that kind of thing, the world notices. Because the world is so messed up out there. Those were common sense things 50 years ago. They're not anymore. And the world will take notice. You know, wow, you know, well, we can't let them go. They're, they're too hard a worker. We can't let them go. You know what? I mean, they just, you know, I mean, all the other office stuff is going crazy, and they're just doing their own thing. They're, they're, they're just keeping their nose out of it. The world will notice. And your life, this is what he says. Notice what he said. Not only will they notice, but you'll be lacking nothing. You will have that peaceable, quiet, mature life, whole life that God has intended for you to have. So, a couple takeaways and then we're done. Um, First takeaway this morning is this. We have got to get back to this idea of self-control. It's the bottom line. The bottom line is we're in an instant society. My breakfast this morning took 60 seconds. McDonald's has now gone to the point that they now put two drive-up lanes at a McDonald's. Why? Because one wasn't fast enough. We're in a culture where, if you'll think about it for a minute, years ago, you remember how hard it was to get a credit card? Now, you know who they give a credit card to? You got a pulse? Here, cheers. What about debt? Oh, no, no, don't worry about that, you know. Don't worry about that, you can pay for it later. Just go get it now. When my kids were at Best Buy, they'd tell you. They could tell you when the checks came for tuition reimbursement. They didn't, get, they didn't go to college, Bill. They went to new stereo, new TV, new whatever, new whatever. Go to, go to the average college dorm room today. Okay? Why? Because we're in a world in which we get it now. And, and don't be too hard on the kids. When was the last time you had to save up and buy something? When was the last time you had to work hard to get something? See, we're all part of this thing. We're, we're this whole self-control thing or saying no to something is a foreign concept. Some of you have a struggle with this with time. Everybody that comes to you and asks you something, you go, yes, 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 yes. Let me give you another word. No. I don't understand why I'm so stressed out. Because you don't use the word no. That's why. Because you only have X number of hours a day. And when you commit to doing 28 hours of work in a 24-hour a day, you're going to be stressed. Why? Because that's what's happened. We're in a world where we don't, we don't. We have failed to teach our kids delayed gratification. And then we wonder why, why do they struggle? Why do we struggle with, with, with uh, you know, teen pregnancy and all these other issues? And yet we step back from a culture and go, Hey, where in our culture do we teach delayed gratification? I mean, kids need a driver's license now for school permit at 14. Okay? When I was a youth pastor, I set this up. We had certain things that junior hires could do, certain things that you had when you got 10th grade you were allowed to do, and then certain things when you got 11th grade you were allowed to do, or 9th grade. So in ours, there were like three tiers. 
And I often get parents and they go, oh, you know what? Hey, can my kid go along? Because it's like his last year that his brother's going to go and he's a senior. And I know he's only in, in, in 10th grade. And I know that trip's for like 11th and 12th graders. But is there any chance that he could go? And my answer was no. He can go when he's in 11th grade. Oh, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I'd actually, I'd actually get parents who volunteered and say, can I bring my 10th grader? And I'd say no. Why? Because your 10th grader needs to look forward to something. And if they go as a 10th grader to something that 11th and 12th graders go to, then they don't look forward to it when they're 11th and 12th grade. Now, that's a simple thing, but you can't imagine how many parents got upset over that. And that was 25 years ago. You know what it's like now? You know, why? Because we have failed to teach this idea. And then we wonder why we have kids struggling with the issues of sexuality. Why? Because all of a sudden now we're in a culture which says, you know what? Delayed gratification is not existent. You think about it for a minute. Anybody remember what you used to do if you ever wanted to go see the new movie that came out? You would actually, yeah. <laughs> That's great. That's great. I got, I got young people going, no, I couldn't even imagine that concept. Exactly. That's my point. Well, let me tell you what it was like back in the days of dinosaurs. <laughs> we would actually have to see a trailer. We didn't, we didn't see a trailer. We heard about a trailer. Because the only time you saw a trailer is if you were at the theater. So we would, so... I'm going to date myself. I remember when Star Wars came out, the first one, not the, uh, the 15th one. I, the first one came out. And I remember getting in line to go see Star Wars. And you got to see Star Wars. And then you know how many other times you got to see Star Wars? That was it, unless you went back to the movie theater. There was no Netflix. There was no DVD. There was no Redbox. There was no, you know, go to Walmart and buy the movie. Why? Because we had to, we had to wait for it. And if you wanted, if you wanted a record... Look it up. You'll find out what they are. Um, <laughs> and you want to, there was no iTunes. There was no click, purchase, instant, listen to a preview. You had to buy the whole record. And then when you wanted to get your song, you had to wait for it. Because the needle would go across, and your song was usually either in the middle of the record or at the end of the record. And then they came out with singles that you just played over and over and over and over again. And then 8-tracks. Oh, 8-tracks are really great. Because I remember the Star Wars 8-track. You know, dun da 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 And then it clicked in the middle of the soundtrack. dun da 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 dun da 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 Why? Because you had to wait for it. You had to wait for it. We're not in a culture that has to do that anymore. And we have a whole generation, generations behind us that know nothing of delayed gratification. And you know what? You know who needs to be setting the example? Us. We need to be teaching it. We need to be modeling it. We need to be able to look at our kids and say, you know what, look, we can't do that this year, but we're going to save up for it for the next two years so that we can do it in two years. We need to walk them through that process. We need to show them how we're doing it. They've got to see it. We've got to model it. And in your own life, there's some, there's some things that you just need to, they're out of control. They control you. And the bottom line is when something has a grip and a control on you, then God's not in control anymore. That thing or that person or that, 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 that whatever it is, that addiction is. And that's not how God wants us to live. And that's what Paul says. Second idea here is when he talks about their love. The world has to know that we love them. That's the bottom line. We, it's got to know. And the thing about Christianity now is for some reason we've gotten this idea that we hate everything. And the world has that concept of us. 
You know, I think probably one of the most recent demonstrations I thought that did a phenomenal job of doing this, I don't know if any of you followed this story or not, but um, when they had the, the, the shooting down there in Orlando, on Sunday, Chick-fil-A opened up to serve people. Now, if you know anything about Chick-fil-A, they don't open on Sunday. They do nothing on Sunday. But they said, here's an opportunity to make an impact and to show somebody we do love you. We disagree with you, but we love you. And I think we've got to get back to that. I have no problem. Look, some of you are diehard Republicans. Great, 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 great. Fine. Do your Democratic friends, I know that's an oxymoron for some of you, but do your Democratic <laughs> friends, they know your position. Do they know you love them? Some of you who are diehard Democrats, okay? And again, Republican friends, I get it. Um, do they know how much you love them? I can disagree with you night and day and still love you. In my life, it's called marriage, okay? Because <laughs> I can disagree with my wife, but I still love her. And she can be dead wrong. And I still love her. And, 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 and all of that, one of the reasons she can take our disagreements is because she knows I love her. It's no different in Christianity. The world has got to know we love them. We care about them. And they've got to be able to see that. And Paul said, you know what? This something these people were doing great. And Paul said, I just want to encourage you to keep. Here, here's a question. And, and we dealt with this in Sunday school about five, for the last five or six weeks. What does love really require of you? I didn't ask what the line is. What does love require of you? Because the world's got to know that we love them. And the last idea is this idea of our lives really need to be whole. We need to have a life that is not swayed by what's happening in the culture. And these people are about ready to die for what they believed. But it did not shake their faith. Because there was a peace, there was a calm, there was a wholeness. There was a quietness about their life that no matter what was happening on the outside, everything was okay on the inside, and they knew that. And we have people in this congregation who have gone through some horrendous things. And you have been able to have that peace and that quiet that the world is noticing, believe me. Believe me, the world notices. And I want to challenge you because I think for some of you, you're miserable. You're miserable. You really think that's why Christ died on the cross? To give you a miserable life? I mean, something's wrong. Something's off somewhere. Because that's not what we're called to be. That's not who we're, what we're called. God called to give us a life of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temper, all of those kinds of things. That's what our life should be about. And I just want to challenge you because some of you, and you go, well, I just don't understand why. He just talked about a couple of them. Maybe your nose is places it doesn't belong. Maybe you're taking on issues and stuff that you don't need to be taking on. Step away. Step away. And like I say, for me, you know, for some of you, what's happened is your life is in chaos, and, and part of the chaos is it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse because you don't have your own house in order. A um, couple years, actually last year. Last year, I got a great big shed 
that, if you know anything about the farm and shed, ends up being a catch-all. Okay? And somebody would ask me to, to help them with something, or somebody would ask to borrow something, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I got one of those. And then I would go out in my shed, and I would do what many of you do. I would look and look and look and look, and then it added frustration. And I, I didn't want to go tell them I couldn't have it, and then I'd go back, and I'd look at one, and I had more and more frustration. And I just got so frustrated, because here I am trying to help somebody else, but I can't help somebody else because I don't have my own stuff in order. So I decided, you know what, here's my project. I am going to go through my shed. This took me almost two months last year. And anytime I have a free time, I'm going to go out to my shed, and I'm going to work for at least X hour, usually it was at least one hour, and I am going to physically touch everything in my shed. I'm going to do one of three things. I'm going to pitch it, I'm going to give it away, or I'm going to organize it, label it, and keep it. It was two months of agony going, oh, what should I do? Because you know how that goes. The second you throw it away, what happens? You need it next week. And I'm going, maybe I will, maybe I won't. And then I, so I added a level. I was like, okay, I might need this, but I know somebody else who has one. Okay, throw it. Um, I'll get it from them. I went through, I ordered everything in my shed. You know what I've noticed this year? You know how easy it is to help somebody now? Because I know where everything is. My kids came on, and Jimmy was over. We were doing the project over at his house, and he needed something. I went, oh, hey, right over here. Look at this. Pull out the bin. Oh, that's laid out. What else you need? Well, we need a gas fitting. Oh, gas fitting's right here. Pop the top. Look at all this gas fitting. Just choose what we need. When I go over to his house to work, I just grab the gas fitting tub. I grab, you know, PVC. Oh, we need a, a one-and-a-half-inch fitting. Oh, grab the tub, a one-and-a-half-inch fitting. Here's the thing. Now, women, don't, don't beat your husbands up over this, okay? This was my deal, all right? Oh, you need to go do what the pastor did. Um, no, um, I did it for me, okay? But here's what I found. Because my stuff is in order, it's easier for me to help someone else now. Helping someone else is not as frustrating because I've got my stuff in order. Some of you are trying to help other people right now, and, and that's a good thing, but the problem is you don't have your stuff together. And you're sticking your nose in something that right now you need to go get your own stuff figured out so that you can go, you need to go do the hard work of getting your own stuff in order so that you can help other people. And what I see so many times is people get so frustrated with this because here's the thing, they're not taking care of their own stuff first. And Paul said, look, if you're going to live a whole kind of life, a, whole, a life of wholeness, set apart, sanctification, honor, that kind of, if you're going to live that kind of life that the world notices and says, I want to be like that, there needs to be a quietness. There needs to be a peace in your life where there is some order and some structure and, 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 and your stuff's together. And there needs to be this idea of, you know what, some stuff you just need to back away from. It's not your circus and it's not your monkeys. Now, the sad thing is when you figure out it is your circus and it is your monkeys, and then you've got to deal with it. But for some of it, you can step away. And some of you, you just need to do the hard work. And you need to make some changes. And there's some stuff that's controlling your life right now that it's not contributing to a whole life. It's hurting you, and it's hurting other people. And you're not doing yourself any favors keeping it in your life. 
You need to get control with the help of the Holy Spirit and make the changes to do what you need to do so that the world sees Christ in us. So I close with this. God desires for each of us to live a life that is whole, full, and complete. He wants us to stay away from immorality, to love properly, and to experience a life that is full and rich because the world needs to see that. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, we've all got stuff we need to get rid of, so help us to do that. We've all got things, Lord, that need to change. We've all got ways, Lord, that we can grow. For some, Lord, it's a fairly easy step. For others, Lord, I'm asking something very hard and very difficult, and, and we understand that. Lord, for some, it's a process. Lord, for some here that, Lord, they're early into this journey, would you continue to encourage their hearts? For some, Lord, they've been struggling for a long time, would you help them to make, take the step, make the change they need to make? And Lord, for all of us, Lord, may the world as they see us, as they watch our lives, as they interact with us, may they see somebody who's doing it differently because we have a desire and a motivation to please our Heavenly Father. And use us. And when it's all said and done, Lord, may we be able to look back on our life and see ways that you have used us to help and to change other people. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, let's stand together. We're going to sing uh, the first verse.